Welcome back to Footwork, a podcast for those who dream big, never settle, and make their own path. I'm Sean. And I'm Dylan. Together with guests, we share stories and tips every Monday to educate, inspire, and create a community built of soccer players and dream chasers. Footwork is brought to you by... The Talent Project is America's bridge to Europe for the elite few, providing opportunities for young American players that they can't get in the United States. We're looking for a few good men. Visit us at www.talentproject.com and see if you qualify. Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. Savannah McCaskill, welcome to Footwork. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I think you did all right with the pronunciation. What would you say? Out of 10. Yeah, I'd give it like a 9.9. 9.9. Okay, still room for improvement. We (laughs) like that. We like that. Um, So we have a motto here, basically, make your own path, kind of exactly how it sounds. You know, you follow your dreams without being held to the normal route if it does not fulfill you. So what does make your own path mean to you? And how do you feel like you've done that so far? Yeah, I think it's kind of going about everything what in a way that's going to fulfill you because everyone's going to be different and what their dreams are. Um, and for me, like that's kind of, I've always had the same dream since I was little of like playing professional soccer or, you know, playing with the national team. But I feel like every year, every season, like that's looked a little different of how I go about getting there. Um, just by like lessons I've learned, things that I need to change and like being willing to always adapt that path and not think that there's one specific way to get there. Um, has been really huge for me. Um, and it kind of helped me get out of like doing the same things over and over again, expecting the same result. Cause that's kind of like crazy, right? Like you keep doing the same things and expect a result, but if there's results not coming, you have to be willing to change. And so I think that's been one of the biggest things that I've learned, especially going from college into the pros of like learning how to adapt in my off season. Like, what do I need to get better at? What do I need to improve on? And then making those changes so that the next season I can be in a better form than I was the previous season. So I think just being willing to adapt and not always walk down the same path. Um, if it's not working, then that's like been the biggest thing for me. Love that. Now, before we go deeper down into your um, career to give, <laughs> to give, to give the listeners a bit more of a background before we start, who are you, where were you and where are you going? Um, well, who am I? I'm Savannah McCaskill. Um, I currently play for Angel City in LA. And as far as soccer goes, my ultimate dream is to get back with the national team. Love that. Good. And just a little bit of background, like where have you played? Um, you know, maybe like the, cause we'll dive deep, but, uh, maybe the LinkedIn version or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I played my college soccer at university of South Carolina. Um, and then I've played for Sky Blue, Chicago, um, Louisville, and now I'm at Angel City here in LA. Um, that's in the NWSL, and then I also play a season for Sydney FC over in Australia. So you've really, I mean, I, I love that. You've really kind of, I mean, you're still young and you've really been around the league already. I feel like that is, I, of course, there's pros and cons to that, but I think in terms of experience, like what you can take from four and then five different opportunities with Sydney, I think is, is huge. How do you kind of reflect on, on the journey so far of, of 
moving so much, but also gaining so much in terms of experience and knowledge? Yeah. Um, it, funny enough, like each team that I've played on, I've learned something different, like mm-hmm. just because of whether the situation that the club was in, the players that I was playing with, um, or a combination of all of that. Like when I got drafted to Sky Blue, it, at the time, it was a really poorly run club. We didn't have many resources. I was straight out of college, which basically you go from being at a D1 college all the way to like where Sky Blue was at the time, where it was like, think about your summer travel soccer team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, like D1 is no own. joke too. D1 is no right. joke in terms of what you, you would get. Right. So like that was a huge adjustment change for me of like not being handed everything that I needed at the time and like having to find my own way through that. And like being a young 21 year old, I was like, well, I don't know what's going on. Like (laughs) someone tell me what to do. (laughs) And so like learning from that situation to then going to Chicago and playing with arguably like one of the best rosters at the time, it was like completely stacked from top to bottom, Mm -hmm. um, having to step up my game there. And that's really where like, I personally made a huge like mental and like more of a recommitment to the sport of like realizing where I was. I had gotten dropped from the national team and like, I wasn't okay with just like playing some minutes here, playing some minutes there, starting some games. Like I wanted to be a regular in the starting lineup again and kind of get back on track in that sense. And, you know, really made myself get fit. Um, So like that was a huge year and a half for me of like, really rededicating myself to the sport and then got treated to Louisville who was an expansion team at the time. Um, and that was just a whole completely different situation. I was like one of the veterans on the team going into that, which was crazy being 25 and being a vet. Like I was 25 like, hmm. and a veteran. You don't hear that very often. No, like those two things don't go together, but our entire roster was, like literally straight out of college or like it was their first year in the league from coming abroad. And like this league's completely different than anything you can experience like overseas, just because of the physicality, the athleticism, the like demands in the game, I think is Mm. way higher. So like navigating that dynamic was, you know, I grew from that as well, having to like mentor younger players and like bring them along and be like, this is the standard that we have to hold. And like, this is what this league demands. And then Getting to Angel City this past year, it was kind of a culmination of like all of those lessons because it was, yes, it was an expansion team. So like I had to be willing to step up and say like what we needed and still Mm -hmm. be a leader in that aspect. But like also I was surrounded by some actual veterans that have been around in the league for a long time. And um, just being able to like mix all of that together, um, I think really set me up to have a good year. So just to because, I mean, you've been on a few expansion teams now. So the process, I'm sure, is, differs between clubs and everything. But when they're trying to figure out how much do they kind of pull from the players to say, like, okay, maybe this is what we need and this is what we lack or this is what's going well. Yeah, I think clubs should do that a lot. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. huge, actually. Um, one thing that I think – is a difference between Louisville and Angel City is Louisville has a men's side that's in the USL and their men's side is actually really successful. Um, So like they had something to go off of, like Mm -hmm. whether, you know, from their men's side. So they kind of just made a mirror image of it as far as like what was given to the players, the locker room set up, all of that stuff. Like it was basically a mirror image of it, but coming to Angel City, we're we don't have we're not tied with a men's team so we're kind of like making our own path 
um, which I think is where Claire's input comes into being really huge because if you have a group of owners that have never owned a team before, they don't really, I mean, you can go tour other facilities, like you can see all this stuff, but until you're actually in season and like, like you're actually in the thick of it, like you have to be willing to listen to players. And I think that was actually really huge for this club this past year of being willing to listen to players throughout the season and like make adjustments because when we first came in, like, our training facility was all over the place. Like we were training in different fields, training in different facilities. Um, and so like seeing the work that was put on like throughout the season to get us to where we like are in a pretty like stable training facility. Now we have like locker room, all that kind of stuff. Like that's ours. Um, so to like see where we started and where we are now, like that's come from just listening to players and then being willing to like make the necessary adjustments which I think is huge. And continuing to reflect on that, you've had, uh, you have personally had an uh, impressive season scoring six goals, but maybe a bit more in terms of the team uh, you hoped for, but how would you reflect on the season and what's the off season looking like going into next season? Yeah. Um, obviously we want, really wanted to put, make playoffs. Um, I think we were probably came down to a win and a tie to put us into playoffs. Um, yeah, very close. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's sad, but also like kind of, it's really encouraging because to think that we were that close in our first year. And if you look back throughout the season, a lot of our games that we tied, we should have won Um, games that we lost. We should have tied. So like there's moments throughout the season that we could have picked up points. And I think if we, we would have learned some lessons earlier in the season, like closing out games, game management, all that kind of stuff. Like we could have easily made playoffs, which is super encouraging. So I think just taking that and then like knowing that we're going to probably bring in a few more players, like add to the depth of the team and really like allow that to like be just all around more solid. Um, I think going into next year, we're going to be like really good. Um, So that's really encouraging. And for me personally, like, I that was the most goals that I've scored in a professional season. So, you know, I really want to build on that next year and continue to score goals, but also like continue to get assists and like continue to develop those relationships with our offense. Because I think, you know, attacking takes time. Like it doesn't just come off in a season or two, you know, developing these relationships of like knowing when someone's going to move and like where they want the ball, how the timing of it and all that stuff just takes time. And I think towards the end of the season, we were really starting to like fire on all cylinders in that aspect. So, you know, I'm luckily able to train with some of the girls throughout the off season. So that'll like help those relationships. And then going into preseason next year, I think that'll be really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know you've uh, played a few different variations of kind of a center midfielder. Sometimes it was a little deeper on other teams, but it seems like you've been more in that, kind of 10 roll in between the pockets, picking up the ball. How do you feel like that's kind of helped you have one of these standout seasons and be able to be that creation with all the other players, like you've said? Yeah, I think it's massive. Um, That's kind of where I love to play. I love the attacking creative side of the game. Um, Being able to sit in those little half spaces, pick up the ball, turn, either slip a little bit, pass in behind or drive at the back line. That's kind of like my sweet spot. And so being able to 
actually have that as my number one job this year and like my role within the team of like really just sitting in those pockets, receiving the ball and then creating from there really allowed me to be closer to the goal. And so like then I was able to get more opportunities to score, assist, all that kind of stuff. Um, last year when I played in Louisville, I was having to sit a little bit deeper um, and that was just taking me farther away from the goal. I was able to show like my range of passing and like other aspects of my game, but I wasn't able to really focus on the creative side of things. And so coming into Angel City, Freya, our coach, um, really said like, this is your best attributes. And like, this is how we want to use you. And I was like, absolutely. I'm on board. Like, thank God. Because like, that was like, that's just where I love to live within the game. And like being able to sit in those pockets and like in between the sixes and the center backs and like just cause havoc in that area. Oh, it's like, the best. It's the best. Yeah. It's so fun. I'm on the other side of that. You yeah, guys he's a defender. So he doesn't under, he doesn't understand those pockets. He understands the pockets from a different view, I guess. Yeah. Right. He hates that, it. He hates yeah, it. He yeah. hates, he hates it. Exactly. <laughs> that that player that floats in between, they're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> now walk us through walk us through a day in the life, uh, a training day during the season. Yeah. Um, so usually we train, I think this past year we started at 9 30. We started with a meeting. Um, usually some form of film, um, whether it's like right after a game, we're going over game film, um, or if it's a short week, we're doing both game, game review and scout for the next game. Um, so some sort of film in there and then go over our like training plan. Mm -hmm. Then we usually have like 15, 20 minutes, um, that we do like prehab stuff, um, whatever you need from that kind of standpoint, and then start training, usually go for. 90 minutes to, I don't know, sometime, not like never really two hours, usually 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and then depending on the day, if you want to do extra technical, um, you need to do extra running, any kind of that kind of stuff um, that'll happen after training. And then we usually have lunch and then you'll have treatments. Um, and then sometimes we have like individual meetings or um, like small group meetings based on position, that kind of stuff. And then we're usually done by the latest one, one thirty. Nice. And so what is the, what does the off time look like? Every, every <laughs> soccer player is a little bit different. Yeah. I have, um, a almost one year old Labradoodle. So I come back home to him and take him out and I live uh, really close to the beach. So I walk, walk him nice. down to the beach, um, play fetch, just kind of hang out the rest of the day, run errands mm -hmm. if I have to. But yeah, um, since getting a dog, he's like kept me more active in my afternoons. I felt like whenever I was younger, like I would in training and then just sit on the couch all day. Yeah. <laughs> but now at least like I get outside and being close to the beach too is awesome. So. And you're in LA, you have amazing weather all year round, yeah. which is I'm yeah. jealous of, I must say. Yeah. yeah. It's cold right there, there now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the sun the sun's gone the sun's like gone 4 for the next four months yeah <laughs> get out there when you can but yeah. i mean i did i did read a little bit about how you're very connected with nature um i think you grew up you did a lot of things like on the lake like fishing and stuff like that and i know you kind of have taken up hiking in mm -hmm. um some of the more current years so i think that balance as a soccer player to have those solaces away from the game are so important so how do you feel like 
that is your escape or your solace. And can you talk about the importance of that on your life and on your career? Yeah, it's huge. Um, I got into, like, I grew up on the lake, um, always loved, like, boating, all that kind of stuff, just, like, being outside. Um, when I was really little, I used to have, like, a little 50cc dirt bike. Um, oh, amazing. And would go, like, dirt biking and, like, four-wheeling with my grandparents and fishing and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I grew up outside, and, like, that's always been kind of, like, my like escape from the world like I guess mm -hmm. is what like mm -hmm. outside of soccer obviously because that's like my ultimate escape but like apart since that's become my job like it's really more important for me like to be able to go outside and like kind of get away and really like shut my brain off from soccer because I find that if I sit around especially after like a hard day of soccer or like a hard training session or like a game didn't go that great. Like I am the one that's like reliving every moment in my head and like yeah. real like thinking about what I can could have done better, what I should have done better, you know, every little instance in the game. Um, so like being able to kind of have a space where I can shut my brain off and not think about that um, is really big for me so that when I am in training or games or, you know, need to think about soccer, then I'm a hundred percent focused but I have a space outside of soccer to where I can, you know, go hang out with friends, like get outside, go hiking, um, you know, little things is even like taking Bentley, my dog to the beach. Like that's kind of like just being outside for me is like a release and just being able to really like stop overthinking everything. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's almost a good thing to have that, have the dog Bentley because, uh, it yeah. forces your accountability, there's, buddy. It forces you to go outside. Yeah, there's, right. and there's also nothing like a dog to just think like exactly. it's. I don't know. Everything else is not that big. It's not that important, you know. Exactly. Yeah, and that's like the other thing about like getting out, and especially in the mountains, um, you're like literally so small compared to these like massive mountains. Yeah. Couldn't or even more. like the beach with the waves and stuff like that. Like you mm -hmm. sure are reminded exactly. how small your problems actually are. Do you have a favorite hike that you've ever done? Oof. coming from upstate new york we uh i say upstate just for sean because he's from long island i don't know if you know uh -huh. the whole upstate downstate I battle do. yeah here. yeah of course okay it's it's traveled around um <laughs> yeah we i grew up i grew up like hiking so it's again for me is another solace thing too but it's oh, a little sweet. tougher and it's a little tougher in germany yeah i can imagine um, there's still there's still like woods and stuff, but the, the, uh, the, heights, aren't, the heights aren't changing too much. <laughs> um, my favorite hike I've ever done, I went backpacking in Peru whenever I was in college. Ooh. And wow. we did the Salk and Tay Trek, which basically you start out and like the first four days you're hiking up to Salk and Tay Mountain and then you hike back down through the jungle. And then the last day is Machu Picchu. So oh, yes, like, please. yeah, is it, worth, the, is it worth it? Is Machu Picchu worth it? The ending? Yeah. I've heard conflicting things, but I'll so, for sure go one day. Yeah. Have if to. you do the, you got to do the backpacking route or like at okay. least like do the actual hike for Machu Picchu mm -hmm. because there's an option that you can take a bus up from the like Machu Picchu town. Yeah. And it's, you just don't get the same experience and like, right. yeah being a part of like the backpacking group we so the gate for machu picchu opens it's the doors open to get actually into machu picchu at six but the hike itself opens at five i believe 
um, down at the base. Like it's an absurd amount of just like old, like concrete stairs that mm. they've built. They go up to Machu Picchu. And so literally we all were in line at like 4.30 to start the hike. And so we got up there literally at, I don't know, 5.45-ish before the gates even opened. So we were the first people in Machu Picchu, mm. which is 100% the way to do it because you get the views, the pictures, everything is like empty. The sunrise is incredible. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then by the time we left, like, cause obviously you walk around for a few hours mm-hmm. and see all of the stuff. And by the time we left, it was all of these, just like people that had flown into Machu Picchu and taken the bus up. And so it was like crowded with all of these like tourists and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You got to get out before it. That's the, okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do the cheating route. I can't take the bus and then no, just be there. No, yeah. no, it's, you got to work for it. Yeah. It makes it that much better. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, I could talk about these things all day. We'll come back to some travel things later, but okay. I wanted to kind of bring it back to your time at South Carolina. I know that was an enjoyable experience for you both on and off the field. And we have a lot of younger listeners, maybe on the verge of, of going to college and picking that college. So what kind of advice would you give someone looking to choose a school and how did that reflect in your choice? Yeah. The biggest advice that I was given as a kid, and I think a lot of people get is that pick a school if, if soccer doesn't work out or if yeah. something happens and you can no longer play. Um, because so many people that I've known or like knew growing up picked a school because of soccer and then something happened or, you know, soccer didn't work out. They were injured something and they hated the school itself. And so they ended up transferring. And so I think like the biggest thing is that pick a place that yes, soccer obviously is really important, but like pick a place that you also enjoy away from soccer because it'll make the experience that much better. Um, So luckily like I loved South Carolina as a school, as a campus. Um, It was a huge sports school big football school so like the money was there for athletics and stuff like that and so it worked out that we were actually really good while I was there at South Carolina too so being you know I kind of had the best of both worlds which was awesome now as before we go into the start of your career throughout your career have you has there ever been a team that uh have the facilities like you did at South Carolina I think that's a huge misconception here with a lot of players like the universities yeah. have the best facilities in the world. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, the closest probably would have been Louisville. Mm. Um, they built a brand new stadium the year before we started, and then they built a brand new training facility. Literally, it finished like a couple months into our season, and so we moved in there. And that was like the best facilities that I've had as a pro, um, being like – your own cafeteria, your own weight room, film room, like things that you would think would come standard, but like you don't get across the league. Mm-hmm. Um, that So that was probably the closest, but I mean, yeah. When I was, I, I hinted to it earlier, when I was at Sky Blue, like we were doing our own laundry. We were bringing on water to the field. Our training like field would change day to day, week to week. We were playing games out of Rutgers who doesn't have a shower. Um, their locker room is like a little 10 by 10 brick or like Rutgers cinder block doesn't have, building. Rutgers doesn't have a shower? 
No, Rutgers that's doesn't absurd. have a shower. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> oh my god. It was wild. And so like going from South Carolina who like we built brand new facilities my junior year, mm. I think. And it's like soccer specific right by the stadium, like literally the locker room and then the fields right next right next to it. Um our own weight room, our own film room, ice baths, training like Oh, tables everything. Yeah. everything i mean it was mm. like a multi-million dollar training facility mm. and so like coming from that to then sky blue i was like what have i done <laughs> like where am i yeah. um, oh man i'm still stuck yeah. on the yeah i mean the different fields the no shower that's, that's oh, so very interesting the side of the game. On and on. Yeah. yeah i'm sure there's a lot more and maybe some you don't want to put off on camera but uh so even before sky blue though you had maybe one of the shortest i don't think you ever had a contract there but you did get drafted second pick by boston breakers i know you've told the story before but it's so interesting just yeah. knowing prior to the draft that they were going to fold and then kind of having to put on uh i guess a little bit of a face and say like you know you're excited to join and you know walk that whole mile and then know that you're end up going to go, you're going to go somewhere else. It's not really probably you kind of knew at that point. So can you kind of take us through the whole run up into that, where you were mentally, and then finally coming to sky blue, what your mentality was like? Yeah. Um, so I was finishing up because I graduated a semester early from South Carolina. So that I didn't have to worry about school when I was going to wherever after the draft. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, Finishing up school, um, was like getting an agent and all of that stuff. Found out that I had just get gotten called in with the national team for the full team for January camp, um, which would be my first like actual full team camp. Um, and so all of that was going on at the same time. And then once I got my agent, um, I got a call when I was about to go to camp and he was like, yeah, Boston's going to fold, but you're probably like, you're still going to get drafted to Boston at number two overall because Andy was going one to Washington spirit. And so I was like, okay, like, what does that mean? And he was like, well, we don't know yet. Like the league has no rules for this. They're just making it up as they go. And I was like, okay, great. Like that's what every player wants to hear is like, yeah. you're going to get drafted number two overall, but your team's going to fold. Like, and who knows okay. what's going to happen? How anticlimactic. Yeah, we don't have any answers for you, but just hold on to your hats because this could get interesting, basically. And so um, we, I go to camp, like camp's going great. Um, and then the draft was actually during camp. So the, our draft was in Philly and camp was in California. So like there was no way that I was going to make it to the draft. And so Andy and I both, got up early one morning to watch the draft and we had to do like, once we got drafted, then we had to do videos of like, as like an acceptance speech basically. Yeah. And so we were like watching this and Andy and I were both cracking up because I was like, I'm going to Boston, Boston's folding. Like, <laughs> okay. So, I'm going to a club that does not exist. <laughs> right. So we go through the whole thing and like, obviously I have to make the whole like video of like, thank you so much for drafting me. Like I can't wait to get to Boston and start playing. And, you know, it's all basically in the back of my head. I'm like, I'm not going to Boston. Boston's not even a team. So I don't, camp goes by like 
couple weeks go by. I think I'm back in South Carolina at the time. And we get an email from the league saying, if you're on this email, you are currently on the Boston roster. Um, what's going to happen is there's going to be a like redispersal draft to where the remaining teams are going to get listed and ranked, and then they'll get their picks in that order from the um, like existing roster of Boston. Mm-hmm. And so, and they like gave us a time and a date and it's like, not even a, like now the draft is like at least something on a screen. Like this was just yeah, a phone okay. call. Okay. So I get on the phone and I'm like listening to these things. And like, I think Rose goes one to spirit and like my agent had called me and been like, sky blue is probably going to take you. And I was like, okay, like we'll find out. And so Rose went one to Washington spirit and then I went to, to sky blue. And so like, that was actually when I knew that I actually had a team that I was going to, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, well, at least I now know that I have a team that I'm going to that actually exists. This one's real. Um, yeah. This one's real. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm actually going to New Jersey. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that was exciting. And then I had a couple of friends on sky blue at the time, which was, um, encouraging it's like Eric Skrowski um immediately called me and was like yo and I was nice. like all right cool like that's gonna be fine um but at the time like I was a really like I mean I was 21 going into the pros had no idea what to expect got to I was actually didn't go into preseason right away because I was with the national team um so I missed the first couple of weeks of preseason and once I got there like I felt like I was playing catch up in a way of like, okay. I wasn't around the coach. I didn't know anything about her at the time. Um, I wasn't, our living situation wasn't there. They were trying to put me with a host family who was notorious of like making you take care of their kids. And so like that wasn't going to work out for me. So then I was just like a glorified au pair. Right. Basically. Uh, uh. And so I like, said that I was going to do that. So then I was trying to find a place to live, trying to negotiate, like getting a housing stipend, which at the time wasn't a thing. Like the clubs didn't have to give you a housing stipend because host families were deemed like good enough. Yeah. So I was living on a couch for a month before I like found a place to live. Yeah. Found a place to live. So like with all of that stuff going on, like one of the biggest lessons that I learned is like, just take things into your own hands and do things when you need them and don't, don't wait for other people to give them to you. And mm. it took me a year to learn that lesson. Like, and unfortunately, like all of that kind of stuff was happening to me at the same time. So like national team, all the stuff that was going on with sky blue, we weren't good on the field. Um, I didn't really get along with the coach at all. Um, so like dealing with all of that stuff, like my soccer dropped and like my priorities dropped and I like just found myself wanting to have fun in something. So then I was going out with my friends. I was like not making sure that I was ready to play when I needed to play. And so all of that time, like it was a massive learning lesson for me. And like, I mm-hmm. wouldn't trade any of that for the world because I'm a lot better person and player than I am now than I was then. But um, it was definitely hard to like go through that and see like having to deal with 
two completely different situations of like national team stuff, but also like everything that's going on with sky blue and like being a young 21 year old away from home with not a lot of resources. I was like, I have no idea what to do. Like living in a small town in New Jersey being like, there's a planet fitness. Like, do I go run on the treadmill and get a membership? Like that's literally what I ended up doing because we didn't have a gym at the time. I mean, so, it's, like, it's, there's a lot of crazy things here. Like the, yeah. to unpack someone who's in the national team camp and then has to sleep on a couch for the first month before their professional debuts is like, this is, but I guess that's just kind of, people don't understand that. Like what a lot of athletes, a lot of women athletes have had to kind of put up with and then try and change. Do you feel like it's gotten a lot better from when you started in terms of, you know, what is available for, for the athletes? I, I mean, I think we're all in agreement that there's still so much, still so far to come. But have you felt like there has at least been steps in the last years? Yeah, for sure. I'd say over the last year, year and a half, um, we really have made a ton of changes. And I think that really comes from the players like demanding change. And we were able to sign a CBA, which covers a lot of those like off the field issues of like housing, um, childcare, you know all of that kind of stuff. Like, mm. I think that that was a huge step. Um, and there's obviously still a lot more that we can continue to grow and we can still continue to grow in those aspects. Um, obviously salary is a huge one, but um, I think this past year we set attendance records like tenfold yeah. throughout the league, um, which was really encouraging to see like some teams that usually are notorious for getting like, three or 4,000 fans were getting like seven or 8,000 fans or um, so, and then obviously playoffs was incredible records as well. So mm. like just seeing that after we've signed a CBA and like seeing everyone that's come out and support watched on TV, um, I think that's just going to help continue to carry the league and continue to push the standards. And I think that it's really positive, but obviously we still have a long ways to go as far as like getting to even matching a men, like a men's team or like a men's yeah. league. Um, yeah. But it's definitely come a long way. I think when the league started, the minimum salary was something absurd. I literally want to say it was like $5,000, 6,000, something like that. Um, so like girls, like that was their second job. Like they had to find other jobs to survive. Um, when I got into the league, I think it was maybe 15 or 16 K and that was in 2018. Yeah. 2018. And then now I think it's up to 32, I believe is the minimum. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're like making steps. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like super positive, but obviously 32 a year is still not a whole lot. No, it's still a long way to come. I think. Yeah. It's a, I think there's a lot of transitions that need to happen as well. And I mean, just to come back to that opportunity for you, I think this was a huge transitional period for you in terms of coming from college, having that autonomy, having to kind of figure out things as you go, you kind of came in a little late, maybe felt more like, you know, the new kid coming into school instead of someone who was, you know, big on the roster and you kind of said it reflected maybe a little bit in your off the field choices or what you put into the game, both physically and mentally. When did that kind of that, that switch flip 
and you kind of realized, you know, what it was going to take or um, maybe it was a different environment that was going to help get the best out of you? What kind of flipped for you? Yeah, um, I finally got my trade that I'd been asking for for over a year to get out of Sky Blue um, and Chicago got me. And going into Chicago, I knew that it was going to be a way better as far as talent, depth, training, like all that kind of stuff was going to be better. And so I went in to Chicago and started the first couple of games, then got dropped to the bench the next couple of games, and then started a couple of games, got dropped to the bench a couple of games. So it was kind of like this roller coaster. And I knew that I wasn't 90 minute fit and my coach Rory at the time also knew that I wasn't 90 minute fit. So like I was getting 65, 70 minutes, um, you know, playing decently, mm-hmm. but really going into that off season after that, like I was there for maybe three fourths of a season um, that first year going into that next off season, I knew that I needed to get myself fit and like, cause my soccer was never the issue. It was my fitness um of how long I could sustain um playing at that level mm-hmm. and so literally that off season um I actually lived which was ironic enough I went back to New Jersey because that was like the a huge group of players of like MLS USL um and a bunch of NWSL girls uh would get together and train in this place called APTT and so literally I lived there in the off season and trained basically twice a day for the entire off season and got myself fit. And so I think it was really that like that off season that really kind of redirected my career. And I came in, which unfortunately it was also challenge cup of 2020 because of COVID, but we didn't have a full season that year, but honestly it worked out kind of in my favor too, because I continued to train and continue to get fit um, without a full season to try to do it during. Um, so like the combination of that year and the off season, like really helped me um, get to, you know, get back on the right path and really like solidify myself as a starter in the league and um, help me like continue to grow as a player. And how did you approach training and the notions of having to prove yourself or maybe the difference in mentality from your first season until, until that? Yeah. Um, training was no longer something that I could just show up to something that I could just walk through. Um, it was getting to Chicago, something like it was competitive. I needed to show up and compete every single day or else I was going to get run all over. Like our team was, I mean, we had at the time, Julie Ertz, Sam Kerr, um, Casey Short, Tierna Davidson, um, Alyssa Nair was our keeper. Like the list goes on and on and on of like national team talent. And Mm -hmm. so like trainings basically ran themselves because it was so competitive that Rory would just say a drill that we were going to do. And it was probably like five V five, but it was like the most competitive thing in the entire world because everyone there wanted to win. And I think that was the environment that I wanted at sky blue. Like that's the environment that I thrive in of like, you show up every single day, you train, like that gets you wanting to go to training because it's so competitive and you want to win. And the days that you win, it's great. And the days that you lose, it sucks, but it like makes you want to go back and win the next day. And so like that really helped as far as like my off the field decisions of like, I then didn't want to go out with my friends or like go have dinner and drinks because I wanted to train and I wanted to win. 
and like when I was in sky blue, it wasn't really that case. Like I could show up and kind of half-ass things and like still get away with it and it would be fine. Um, because it wasn't that competitive environment, but getting to Chicago, I mean, it was 100% competitive every single day. And if you wanted to show up and compete, then you showed up and competed. But if you didn't, then, I mean, you were left behind basically. Like you just weren't even thought about or talked Mm. to. It was, you were just there basically spectating. So like going into that environment really also helped me turn things around and like, be like, this is actually what I want to do in my career. And I want to get back in a place that I'm like a no question starter um, and really like helping the team win games. Gotcha. So, I mean, it seems like what a a great experience in terms of learning, I guess, or realizing what it takes and realizing the, the, how high the bar can be set. Now I was just interested. We spoke a little bit off camera because we both played in Australia, but that loan move that you had in Sydney for uh, the few months during their season, did you feel like that competition was close to the aspect of, of soccer in America? Did you feel like that was a good experience for you in terms of kind of um, changing your environment as well to kind of realize maybe, uh, or just to find some, some comfort or solace away from a bad experience? What was that time like for you? Um, the biggest thing that that like going on loan there was for me is like actually enjoying playing soccer again. Um, because I mean, after my first year at Sky Blue, like I, soccer wasn't enjoyable for me. Um, I was just going through the motions. I wasn't like going out on the field, expressing myself, having fun. Um, and so whenever the opportunity came up to go play Australia, um, I was like, absolutely like a girl that was on my team in Sydney, um, Sophia Huerta, who now plays at OL Reign, um, reached out and was like, hey, you want to come to Australia? And I was like, absolutely, let's do it. And so um, uh, at the time, the league was more competitive than I think it is now over there um, because mm-hmm. it was a lot of U.S. players and like national team players that were going over um, in the off season to continue playing. Um, and then all of the Australia national team players would come back to their home leagues and play for their like home teams. Um, and so the combination of that, and then some of the younger players that were coming through Australia would play some, but like, because there were so many players coming, going over to Australia, it was mostly like top national team players or like top tier players. Um, so it was pretty competitive. Um, but like the biggest thing was that it was like fun. It was Mm. a way to continue playing soccer, continue to get games under your belt, but it was like fun and to be able to play like for Sydney, live in Sydney, um, experience that. Um, and then, I mean, we traveled all over the country to play games. And so you get to see a new country, you get to see new people, meet new people, play with new people. Um, as a whole, it was a really fun experience. What was your favorite part of being in Australia? Oof. Um, favorite part. Well, we won the grand final, which was definitely a highlight. Um, Outside of soccer? I went to Cairns and scuba dive the Great Barrier Reef. Wow. Which was really incredible. 
Um, I ate a lot of good Thai food. Oh, okay, yeah. A lot mm-hmm. of good Thai food. Thai food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the food was great. Honestly, like all of it. The beaches were great. People were great. Just Accents like, were great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you do one? Put you on the spot. Can you do an Australian accent? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. We, I can't either. I can't either. No, that's a, a great experience. We have to, Sean, we're not a travel podcast. We got to come back a little bit. Yeah, we yeah. Really- I'm just curious because Dylan has yeah. many, many good stories. Just everyone, everyone always has high things to say about Australia and the people themselves. It's just like always having a good time. Always having a good time. Yeah. yeah. Then, then back to America, trades, trades, trades. You are trade to an expansion team racing Louisville. Yeah. Brand new team. Um, with many players with no experience, you're coming in here as a leader. Um, what was that like for you walking into a club where you're a leader with a team of of many players that have no experience in the league? Yeah, I knew it was going to be challenging. Um, just like after we got our roster put together, I knew it was a first year team. Um, so I knew it was going to be like a new challenge for me. Um, and it was honestly more of a challenge as far as keeping my head and like not getting frustrated um than actual like soccer challenge was because mm-hmm. when you have a group of players that have never played in the league before or are fresh out of college and it's really hard to come like to then create a really competitive environment every single day like like I was saying in Chicago because all those players were veterans they knew what was like demanded of them. They knew where they wanted to go. Um, and they, they wanted to win like that environment created itself. Whereas in Louisville, you had this like hodgepodge of players of like, some of us had played in the league before some people had played in the league, but they had only like played in one or two games in the league. And then you have this like group of fresh out of college kids that have no idea what the league is about. Um, other than watching it and watching it and playing it is two completely different things. So like being able to create this like standard of being like, this is what's expected of us and this is how we're going to play. And then creating an environment every day that's going to get us there was really quite challenging um, for not just me, but like for everyone, I think. Um, But then for me, the most challenging part was like, how do I get some of those players to to the place that we need them and like how do I use my words in order to do that and I can be a very blunt person when it comes to soccer and like on the field I'm very like I'm demanding of myself but I'm also like demanding of my teammates and that's kind of how I lead like I am the standard enforcer when it comes to like performance and that kind of thing and so when you how I can communicate with like some people and how I can communicate with some other people are completely different And so navigating through that, I think one did help me ultimately become a better leader and help me with those things because I had to learn how to talk to different people. Um, But, you know, the first couple of months that was difficult because it was like things that were no brainers for me after being in the league that some of the younger players weren't doing. And it's like, well, if you do that on game day, like we're going to get killed. And like, I need you to, you know, close this gap faster. And it's like, how do I express that without discouraging them? Mm -hmm. And so that was something that I really had to navigate through. Um, 
while also continuing to like push myself and continue to mend myself in the performance that I wanted to put out. So yeah. it was definitely um, an interesting experience. And it was, we also had a lot of other challenges go on outside of soccer of, you know, our head coach got fired. Rightfully so, um, which I don't know if you guys saw anything that came out about that. Um, yeah, yeah, but, I did. Would you, would you, would you like to talk about that a little bit? Would you like to kind of um, go into those details? Can. Just so, yeah, I think. I mean, it's up to you. I, I, I want to make sure that you're comfortable with it, but I think it's very important that a lot of people know these things who don't understand or maybe don't follow um, women's soccer in the U.S. as much right now. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to. Yeah. Um, so we had a coach, his name is Christy Holly. Um, and he was like always kind of the coach that was nice and friendly. And then at a flip of a switch was like crazy yelling at people. And then as the season was going on, um, like he obviously had his, like the starters could do no wrong. And like, he was telling me things that he thought that I wanted to hear, I think, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. kind of keep me on his, like, on, like keep him on, on my foot. Yeah, yeah, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And But then I had other friends that, like, weren't in the starting lineup on the team and, like, the things that he was telling them, like, they just didn't start to line up. So I was like, this guy's, like, definitely, like, manipulating people, like, kind of telling people what they want to hear and then telling others something different. And anyways, like – that was just kind of like how he was treating people every day. But we got a call. Um, I think it was like maybe August um, after it was like an off day and we were told we needed to come into the training facility uh, for a mandatory meeting with the GM. And um, so we all show up. It was like 930 at night and show up to the locker room and find out that he had been fired. Um, and at the time he we were told that he was fired for cause due to an inappropriate relationship with a player. And due to the fact that the player didn't want to come forward with their name at the time, that that was all they could say. Mm. That there was NDAs being signed. There was no other information that could be provided. Um, that was it. And that we should keep that within our locker room. And we were like, well, if it's out of respect for the player, we don't know what happened. We don't know what's going on. Um, we were like, well, okay. Like literally we were all just like very confused, very little information. A um, couple weeks go by and the player who's now come forward, Aaron, um, started to tell a few of us and like would tell – told me like a little bit at first and then eventually towards the end of the season sat me down and like told me the full story of he was abusing her basically um sexual abuse coercion um would pull her into film sessions and would touch her inappropriately um basically say like if you didn't make these passes I'll touch it like this again um and it had been going on for like three years so um, which she's come forward now and all of that's like public knowledge, which is, I'm really like proud of her. And that's awesome that she's been able to work through that and has been willing to come forward and really expose what he did. Because when she first told me, like I, in, 
and I've said this before, I literally, I was in a coffee shop when she was selling me all of this. And I literally left the coffee shop after sitting there for two hours and just like cried in my car because I like, couldn't imagine putting, like being in that situation and like having to go through that for three years. I was like, like, it was appalling to me. It like made me want to throw up, made me want to punch the ceiling, like all of the above in, at once. And I was like, I literally could not imagine going through like moving teams not having him as a coach then having him as a coach like all of that stuff and like the mental like the mental side alone not even the physical but the mental side alone of what she was going through like I can't even imagine and the fact that we didn't even know like as a team we had no idea that that yeah, was going for so on. long for so long too that's right. insane and so like being a captain it also made me think like what else did I not know I was like, literally, how can this guy like be doing this behind all of our backs and we not have a clue? So like having to work through that too, it, it was like, it made the whole year basically like really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, there's so many thoughts on, on this topic. And I think, um, I mean, if, if anyone's read the Yates report and everything that came out about it, and some other power structures around the league. I mean, I guess from from your side, being the captain and having to lead a team and also be, you know, a good, to be the proper friend to her in that moment and also, you know, stand up for her against maybe, I don't know what, maybe what the club was doing or not doing. I mean, how was that for you? How difficult was that for you? Um, it was definitely interesting. Um and I mean, it was hard because she didn't tell the whole team at once. So mm -hmm. she would tell like a couple of people. And so like you didn't know who knew and who didn't know. So it was kind of this like just thing that no one spoke about. Like we had to carry on like business as usual, which is really hard. Like because yeah. you have this person that's going through so much and like you can't really do anything for her. But like you can do stuff behind closed doors, like check on her and stuff like that. But like mm -hmm. when the whole team doesn't know and she doesn't want the whole team to know, like it was a hard thing to navigate. And then, so he got fired and a few of us, like she told a few of us and then all the stuff with Paul Riley came out yeah. Um, a few months later. And so at the time when that came out, like there was a huge thing of like whether us as players were going to play or not, whether we were going to strike and, all that stuff was going on on game day. Well, we were having discussions in our team of like what we wanted to do as a team. And I think that was probably the hardest part because some of us knew it was Aaron that had literally gone through the same thing or like that um, Paul had done. And so um, we were saying like, it's a no brainer. Like if, North Carolina doesn't want to play. We're not playing. Like mm. we're supporting them because someone in our locker room has gone through that. And like, because we knew it was Aaron, it was more personal, but yeah. like some people on the team still didn't know it was Aaron. And so like, it was this weird thing to navigate of like, we want to support Aaron, but we have to just keep saying like a player in our locker room has gone through that. And like, we have to support North Carolina and the rest of the league, like whatever is decided, like we're going to go along with it basically. And like, but like once the Paul stuff came out, it really hit home a second time of like, holy shit, like someone, this has happened to someone in our locker room. And like, 
it's happening in other locker rooms. And that's where it was like, this is a really big problem within this league of like, this isn't a one-off incident. This is like something that keeps going on. And like, so it was like bigger than just one club. It was like a whole systemic problem within the league of like, there needs to be change happening and it needs to happen now. Yeah. And everything is just, it's so, it should be so no brainer in terms of the things that need to change. And it's very sad of what's come to light and maybe what's not even come to light. Cause you never know, like in these power structures, if one thing can exist then maybe another thing can exist and it's, it's very disgusting. And it may not be the most fair question to ask because it shouldn't reflect on the player's responsibility to clean up the actions of people who shouldn't be in charge anyway, but where do we go from here and what has changed since all these things have, have come out? Well, I think within the past year, obviously with the Yates report coming out, like there has been change made. Um, and with everything being brought to the light, like, and huge props to all the players that have come forward because without yeah. their stories, Absolutely. like none of the progress would have happened. And I think Absolutely. for them to have a space, whether it be the Yates report or other reports, um, you know, the news was a, like media was a huge like influence in all of this of like people that were willing to write the articles, willing to take the stories um, and like willing to do the investigations, like without them and without the players that came forward, like none of the change would have happened. And we would have still had these coaches as coaches. They would have still been going on about their business. Um, and so I think within the past year, like there's been a huge change. I think there's still, can be more change um, in certain clubs, but mm-hmm. I think it's been a huge start um, over the past year of like getting people out that need to be out and getting people out of soccer in general that really need yeah. to be out of soccer in general. Um, mm-hmm. Because just because they got fired from a professional team doesn't mean they need to go coach youth players. Like they need yeah. to be absolutely out of the sport because there's no room for that at any level. Um, and so I think that's definitely a huge, huge start. Um, And I think now that all of that's come out, like clubs have to be held responsible going forward of doing more thorough background checks, you know, getting more stories from players, especially like, because the problem in the past was that these clubs were just passing these coaches along because they didn't want to have to deal with them anymore. And they were like, oh yeah, we'll vouch for him, hire him. And it's like, okay, but did you talk to the players that filed the reports that, everyone just brushed some of the rug like so I think having players voices being brought into the equation also is a huge thing and I think clubs have started doing that more which is really Mm. positive Mm. couldn't agree more transparency transparency accountability all of these things uh appreciate you sharing on that I know it's not the most easiest topic to, to talk about but um I think one that we do need to um and hopefully more people you know are updated and, and educated on the subject to, to in order to help. But to come yeah. back a little bit more into your story, um, I know we were just talking, and I'm glad you brought it up because I read it in an athletic article too about this balance because you're very hard on yourself sometimes, or at least you set a high standard, and then that coming across on your teammates. Um, I think that balance between, you know, setting the high standard and not coming coming off as – complaining or as a complainer to your teammates is something that I definitely struggled with for a lot of my career and luckily have gotten better. Maybe it's because uh, I've played in countries where they don't speak as much English 
So that kind of helped me <laughs> and I had to find different ways. But for you, I mean, how did you improve on this topic? What changed? And then how do you kind of bring that into another uh, opportunity in, in Angel City? Yeah, um, it's definitely something that I've had to work on, like since getting into college and then going pro and all that stuff, like realizing that I can get frustrated really, really easily. And that frustration can come off of as one of two ways. Like it can either, I can either shut down and then I'm not playing well, or it can come across vocally where I'm then probably not being the nicest person to my teammates. Um, (laughs) But like not in a personal sense, but like in a soccer sense of like, if someone's not doing something that I need them to do, like I have a very short trigger because then it's impacting me, but because I'm frustrated, I can also shut down. So then I'm not helping the team. And so it's like, I had to figure out how to control all those emotions throughout a game. And so um, really focusing on initially focusing on like how I deal with my frustration and not shutting off. Um, Because like whenever I was really like early in my career, I would get frustrated and then I would take plays off. And I would take like anywhere from like 30 seconds to like a couple minutes, but like, it'd be like, obvious they're like, Sav's frustrated. She's shutting down. Like, like she needs to get back in the game kind of thing. And so I really like worked on whether it be like a bad, I, I'm not having a good game or a team's not having a good game or, you know, something that I needed to happen. Like I'm sitting in a pocket for five minutes and I don't get the ball. And I'm like screaming my head off, like I'm wide open, pass me the ball. And it's like, then I get frustrated and then I just like stop showing up in the pocket because I'm not getting the ball, but I should be showing up in the pocket. And so like realizing those situations and like really actually um, watching film and like seeing those moments of like, oh, I shut down there. I need to like stop that. And like mm-hmm. watching myself get frustrated actually like really opened my eyes to be like, oh, okay. So like, that's something that I can definitely improve on. And so like really taking those moments out and just being present throughout the whole game has really helped me deal with my frustration. And then in turn has helped with how I communicate with my teammates, because if I can control my frustration, then my communication is better um, because I'm able to control what's coming out of my mouth more. Oh, mm-hmm. my dog's trying to say hi. <laughs> we love a celebrity he, appearance. He can say hi. You want to say hi? Guest appearance. Oh, look at him. There he is. Hi. Oh my god, he he is beautiful. Down, buddies. <laughs> down. He's like, enough of this podcast. We yeah. got stuff yeah. to do. <laughs> He's like, are you down, mom? Remember we're supposed to go outside to the beach, you know? It's throughout yeah. that time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just being able to like manage those situations and mm-hmm. really manage my frustration has really helped how I communicate with my teammates. Um, because if I can keep myself calm and on an even playing field, then how I communicate with others is easier for me. Um, because I can stay more present instead of get so worked up in the frustration. It's a, it's a great realization. Yeah. Sorry, Sean. No. And I mean, with that, that's, that's certainly going to improve your performances and get back to your, your goal, which you're not shy about sharing is uh, getting back to the national team. Uh, you had an experience right out of college. First off, how was that? And um, yeah, I've read that that basically everything you do is dedicated to get back there. Yeah. Um, 
it was a crazy experience right out of college um going into that kind of environment right out the gates from college um was a huge eye-opener of like what that actually looks like and what that environment is um and like I said at the time like I was definitely not in the space to deal with that environment every single day like mentally and physically like I just wasn't um there yet as a 21 year old like I had a long ways to go Mm -hmm. and so but seeing that environment and like then coming to the realization of like what I can do to get better to then put myself back in a better position in that environment has been really huge for me. Um, Cause like where I am now as a player mentally and physically, I'm in a so much more like better position than I was then when I was even getting called in. And so mm-hmm. I think getting a taste of that and what that experience is like and like putting the Jersey on, going out in front of the fans, having your name called, you know, as a U.S. national team player, like those things is like what I dreamed of as a kid. And so like after having a taste of that and then everything that I went through and like rededicating myself to soccer, like that for me is definitely still the ultimate goal. I think it's more of now about how I perform every single day to put myself back there instead of obviously, yes, that goal is still in the back of my head. And like, obviously I continue to work towards that goal, but now it's, I put more of an emphasis on what am I doing every single day to put myself in the best position for my club team. Um, Cause then that's then going to give me the, you know, spotlight to then hopefully get called in with the national team. So focusing on those little moments, um, I think has been really huge for me to get to the position that I'm in now. And then, you know, hopefully going forward, I can get called back in. I think that's a great mindset. And I think Sean maybe had the same idea as me is like, we have, it's actually Sean's quote, I believe we're trying to trademark it, but it's to have a direction and not an end goal, because I think the end goal can sometimes distract you from the process. And then whether you achieve the end goal or not can have a, you know, it can kind of weigh on you either way where it's like, okay, I did this. I'm good now. Or I didn't do this. Now I'm distraught. Now it wasn't worth it. Where in your sense, it's like you kind of look at it in a different way right now. And it's more, how can I be the best player and the best teammate I can be and get there from each day? Because if I do that and I get to the best place I can, I have the best chance of getting back to the national team. Yeah, absolutely. I like that quote. That's awesome. Sean, you really got to get on yeah. trademarking that. <laughs> someone's going to snatch but... it up. You're going to find it on like, <laughs> you know, inspirational quotes. You Google it and someone's yeah. going to snatch it up. You got to be quick. Yeah, we got to be quick. And and with that, um, I mean, you're in a good place now um, in L.A., but being in the right situation and environment to be comfortable on and off the field um, certainly will help help you perform. What is your relationship with this? Yeah, absolutely. Um I was actually telling um, my coach at the, in, in our end of the season meeting um, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, this is the first time that I felt like I've been very balanced on the field and off the field as far as like feeling comfortable, feeling confident um, in my role in the team, um, but also like feeling good in a good space where it's like my performance on the field going well because I'm like, feel like I've been given the role to express myself. And that for me is like, whether, 
we're winning or not. It's like having that understanding and that confidence of my coach in me, the club in me, my teammates in me, um, and in myself as well of like knowing my role and like what my role is within the team, um, has been really freeing and just allows me to then go out and like express myself and, you know, take, take risks, um, without fear of like getting yelled at or, you know, just like giving that space to then really be creative has been huge for me. And I think that really came out in my performances this year, my performances this year. Um, and like being able to score goals, being able to, you know, create, um, so I think just really having that space and that, you know, confidence instilled in me has been really big. Love that. I think it's time for a little bit of a fast feet round. We're going to end, Sweet. we're going to end with, um, I mean, it doesn't have to be that fast, but there are <laughs> a little quicker questions. You know, we love stories. So anything that comes with these, but, uh, the first one favorite player growing up. Wayne Rooney. Ooh, that's a great that one. I got quick. a jersey over there. That's a fantastic one. Yeah, I'm a Man United fan. Same. <laughs> Tough times, but we're coming back. We're coming back. Coming and back And Eric Tenhag, we trust. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Favorite moment in soccer? Oh, my um, first cap of the national team. Mm. Who was that against? Because I know you played – you did play against – Germany, France, and was it Spain or England? Uh, right in the She Believes Cup. I think there was those three teams. Maybe I read that wrong or I'm remembering. Yeah, I forget who the third team was actually in that. It was in um, San Diego actually against Denmark was my first cap. Was that with the senior team or the U23 or is it that, that was the senior the... team? Yeah. Most moment in soccer. You what cut you out say? there. Most difficult moment in soccer is my cutout. Oh, most difficult moment in soccer. Anytime I've missed a PK. Mm. Yeah. I've been fortunate enough to not have injuries, knock on wood. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, missing a PK is a hard one. I missed mm. one this year against San Diego, and that was that was rough. Gotcha. Best advice you ever received? Honestly, it definitely has to do with like taking things in your own hands and being willing to put yourself into uncomfortable situations to get better. Mm. Uh, favorite place you've lived? Sydney, Australia. Mm. Good answer. <laughs> favorite place to travel? <laughs> a favorite place you have traveled to? Australia is definitely up there. Peru was really cool. Um, yeah, I think those two so far. Best player you've played against and with? Against? Probably... I think Dabinia is so good. Playing against her is, like, really tricky. Mm. Um, I think she's, like, really crafty, really cheeky. Um, so I don't envy my defenders that have to defend against her. But, like, mm. even playing against her in the midfield, I think, is actually pretty difficult. Um, best player I've played with. It's a hard one. I've played with some really good players. 
Sam Kerr comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously Kristen this year before she got injured. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll probably go with those two. And I forgot where we were. Here we are. Yeah, thank you. If you weren't a footballer, what would you be? A coach. Love it. Fair Staying enough. in the game. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's probably what I'm going to end up doing after I'm done playing. At um, this point, you could build a franchise, build a new club. You know, plenty yeah. about it. There you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> Need some more money, but <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll get backing. the we'll get the money and you take care of the rest. Yeah. We'll okay, sweet deal. Favorite book? Anything James Patterson. I really okay. like uh, like crime mystery novels. Gotcha. Any mantra that you live by? Um, I have one quote. It's just like really simple. Leave no doubt. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I like it. It's so simple, like- but it says so much in the end. In the yeah, end. yeah, exactly. I love that. Amazing. Savannah, we want to thank you so much for coming on. It was amazing to hear about your journey and uh, we can't wait for next season. And, you know, just thanks again, really. Yeah. Thanks guys. It was good to meet you. Good to chat. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you in the next world cup with the national team. It's going to happen. Me too. too. Thanks. Another amazing episode. Um, So glad we got to have Savannah on. I mean, what a great talk. I think we touched, a lot of different areas and we mentioned a few times but one just that comes to me right now it sticks out is i love how she's not shy and i told you this i love how she's not shy about like professing her dream like i i'd like that projection i kind of like that accountability that's like i'm not i'm not shy you know if i don't make it there that is what it is but i'm going to be um doing what i can every single training every single game every single opportunity to get back to a place that she had a taste of at a young age and maybe it was maybe it was a little too young and maybe she you know it would have been better if it came a little bit later for her in her career but you know these things happen for a reason and it gave her that taste and she's she's hungry for it but it doesn't seem like she was always so focused I guess day in and day out though right exactly going off that I mean it seems like she really turned her career around when she started to take training more serious and just her career as a whole uh, more serious. And like she said, she does, does everything to get back to the national team. So excited yeah. to, to follow her, uh, hopefully see her in the next world cup. And yeah, it was a great conversation. Like you said, trades, trades, trade though, man. I mean, I, I've it's something obviously is very foreign to us that it has never happened. And I don't, I don't see it happening in our career. Maybe when, if we're back in the U S at some point, but imagine you just like, got traded like this year you just got traded to like north state just for like yeah. a washing machine or something <laughs> or a washing machine <laughs> yeah from, no it's crazy it's, a, it's just a crazy concept that yeah i guess you just also i mean it. there's there's a lot in that story too like the the getting drafted and not knowing what was going to happen is just the uncertainty of that had to been but it seems like she handled that very well i mean obviously the trades um you know, I think she got a good experience in Sydney where she was able to just enjoy the game again. I think that was really important for her. Um, you know, the opportunity that she had in Chicago where she had to put more on her shoulders at the time maybe wasn't the most fun or the most enjoyable. But I think those experiences also shape us in other forms, you know, and it comes a little later. And maybe now, 
you know, when she needs to drop back a little deeper to pick up the ball, she has the confidence to do that. And, you know, she, I think it's, a, it's again, it's that positional empathy. It's like once you learn a little bit about the other side of it, maybe that can improve how you play your position a little bit better. You know, playing as a six, now she knows maybe a little bit more uh, about playing the 10, about when to hit those those spaces and, and, and break the lines. Um, yeah, and I, I really, really appreciate how open she was, especially with everything, you know, all this disgusting things that happened and with the Yates report um, and just being vocal about it and what it meant as a leader on that team and, and being a friend to, to those that were victims. And, you know, I think it's insane how a lot of this was able to happen and insane how it wasn't immediately dealt with. And it's good to know that there are changes happening far too late in my opinion but at least they're happening and, you know, we'll see where we go. There's, there's so much that needs to happen in terms of accountability and stuff. But again, I'm, I'm just very happy that she was able to, uh, to share that with us. Cause I know how difficult that could be. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's a great path. I think it's a great story because I think a lot of the times we, we tend to have people who go abroad and she did go abroad, but she was, her story is like, kind of she's still young and she's had this long journey throughout the u.s already having different experiences somewhere a little bit more professional than others especially compared to what it's like you know playing at south carolina for a d1 school like we alluded to it early in the episode you did like people abroad have no idea like these d1 universities are bundesliga teams you know like they are crazy and so to go from that and get drafted and have this kind of roller coaster of expectations but also of you know what's given to her day in and day out at the teams i think is really interesting and um it was it was an amazing amazing talk to have and, and kind of get it going into her shoes a little bit and find out about things that you and i don't know so much about good what a wrap up what a wrap up Let's well done it. Yeah, no, I, yeah. it was uh, there was there was many topics uh, regarding the Yates report thing. I mean, I think it's just the beginning. Once you speak up, but then it's easier to then step out. So it's great to hear that she. It's not really. I guess she she saw it and was she's a part of it as a as a league as all the players uh, standing together. It's uh, definitely a yeah. step in the right direction because it's it's disgusting. Yeah. But yeah, I and mean, with that, one more, one more thing, one more thing, actually. That I wanted to speak about because it was like something that I um, kind of uh, I've dealt with this myself, too, is like that balance between like bitching at your teammates, you know, and complaining mm -hmm. and setting a high standard. And I think that is a good balance to find because it's important to set the high standard. It's important to hold teammates accountable. It's important for you to keep them focused. And sometimes there needs to be a shout or two like, you know, hey, come on or you know, focus, concentrate, all of those things, you know, you hear in every single German practice, Sean knows. Exactly. Um, but it's the difference between that and like, you know, the complaining or like throwing your hands up and the, you know, the, the body positioning and the gestures. And, you know, a lot of people are critical of like someone like Bruno Fernandez for how he incorporates it just because of his, I guess his expressions, you know, and maybe that works for him, but I think it's important to to realize what you look like when you do these things, what you look like to your teammates, what you look like to other people. 
and then also be empathetic to understand like what you need to get the best out of your teammates may not be what's easy for you to just complain. Like that shouldn't be the, the twitch, you know, that shouldn't be exactly. the, 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 the crutch. So that was one thing that I think I've dealt with a lot and have become better at. And um, it was, it was great to hear her speak about it, but yeah, I'm done talking. Sorry. Um, good wrap up all that good stuff. What, what else do we have to tell them, Sean? Yeah, I mean, the merch is here. We are just working on um, some things in the background setting with up, it. But setting up I want to put out, I want to put out, you know, just some accountability. I think in two weeks, it'll be live. We have, we to, have get... to talk about this because I think it's got to be ready for like Christmas presents and shit. So we got to find ready. it'll be ready by then. So Yeah. So we're, we're throwing our accountability out. Thanks. Thank you, Savannah, to, for inspiring us. Yeah, to there you go. Merch. <laughs> you got to talk about the goals publicly. Yeah, and exactly. the free support. Keep it up. Free support. Subscribe, uh, like, review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that helps. YouTube. And yeah, until next time. Forever growing. Keep moving forward. Keep learning. And make your own path. Footwork is sponsored by ourselves and great companies such as Kong Fitness. But we love to partner with new brands to make their own paths, so get in touch if you must. Footwork.club, the official footwork website is now live, so make sure you go join the club and check out all the new content and all the new features. Find us on YouTube at Footwork Podcast. You better like and subscribe while you're there. If not, I don't know what to tell you. Find us on Instagram at Footwork underscore podcast. Great time there. Twitter at Footwork Podcast. TikTok at Footwork Podcast, where we like to post dance videos those are great but more importantly amazing content for any dream chasers out there plug plug pass tell your friends your enemies your mother your brother your sister your pastor it doesn't matter who tell the mailman your dog anybody that can listen like subscribe review because all of that helps while you're there we'll take whatever we can get to join the club join the club he messed yeah. me up i mean he can just he can just mash it together so it's fine <laughs>